0: Now, many of you know that we have started our discipleship in the church, amen, which we call authentic sonship, because we are trying to build the principles of discipleship. The very thing that Scott's going through, we are taking you through, and uh, something that we felt the Lord speak to us about, the importance of discipleship cannot be spoken about enough and the reason why I say that is because so many many believers have never been discipled <clears throat> discipleship that will change our life amen church I'm going to keep going on about discipleship because I've seen the importance and power of it and you get all the obstacles you get with church in church all the obstacles you get with people 98 is is due to them never being discipled They don't understand. They don't don't know why they're being asked to do what they do. They don't know why they're being asked to live the life they're they're living. They they resist when you try and help them to change their life. They can't see why their life needs to change. They They just want you to fix the problems. And then when you do help them to fix the problems, they expect you to do all the work. And this is because a discipleship Teaching has never gone into the life of the person. And the person's never changed. They just become a Christian, but the life never changes. And in Luke chapter 14, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, that's a strong word. Listen to what he's saying. And does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Now that's pretty strong, wouldn't you say? But I'll give you context in a minute. And anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. How clear is that? If someone does not do those things and does not carry that cross, they cannot be my disciple. Not that they might be a disciple. We'll get to the end and find out. No, they cannot be my disciple if they do not do those things. And then he says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he, if he has enough money to complete it? In other words, if you want to put an extension on the house, you sit down and see if you can afford it first. Well, that's the real way, but most people just go and get a credit card. For if he lays the foundation that, and he's not able to finish it first, if everyone sees it, they ridicule him. Saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. So many people are not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, if one of you does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. What's the key word there? Everything. 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 So Luke is challenging the mind of a disciple. Before we go down the road of discipleship, he's saying, look, stop. This is only going to hurt you if you're not fully committed. Yeah. This is only going to cause you endless trouble if you don't understand what's being asked. So he says, let me first start off. I'll give you a shock tactic to see if, you're, if there's any ping and even if you're awake. If there's any ounce of God in you, he said, "He, you know, if he can't hate his mother, father, sister, brother. Now, what's he saying there? He's not asking you to hate your mother, your father, your brother, or your sister. But you said we just said it. Context. Why is he not saying that? Because all the way through Scripture, it tells us to love our wives, love our family. It says, it talks about honouring your parents. What it's saying is the issue is first. Love. What is your first love? How many of how many do you know, how, how many of us know that if God wanted to call, let's example, let's say God wanted to call Chris to Australia. And the first thing Chris thinks is, I can't leave my mum. God's calling him, but he's got an attachment. True. So God is asking him, what is his first love? He's not asking you to abandon your mother, but he's trying to, He wants him, God wants to be first and primary in our lives. That's what being a disciple is. You're not following your mother, you're following Christ. Your mother didn't die for you, she gave birth to you. Christ died for you. Do you understand the difference? So he's not telling us to hate those people. He's, he's, he's trying to help us understand the principle of first love. What is first in our lives? Elijah, when God called Elijah, the first thing, he went back, kissed his mother and father, made a, uh, killed his fatted cow, burnt everything that would be an obstacle to him leaving. So he had nothing to stay there for now. And then he followed Elisha, Elijah. Scott going to Australia was a big challenge for him. You might think, well, it's Australia. Who? Who wouldn't want to go to Australia. Well, if you knew Scott, Scott is a family lad. He's a home bird. He likes likes predictability. He likes comfort. He likes these. He likes the same. He likes familiarity. So for him to leave his job, his family, and go to the other side of the world, to a church he doesn't know, to a family he doesn't know, that has to be God. You're not going to do that naturally. Because when all your senses are saying, no, stay with the people I love and care for, you're not going to do it. So God God has a way of, of, of asking us, what is our first love? Who will we follow? What will we follow in our life? What will we lay our lives down for? What is a value in our life? God didn't save you so you could have a church life. God died, and I should say, God gave his own son so that you could have a Christ life. Not a church life. When I say a church life, a Sunday life. Anyone can go to Church. But not everyone follows Christ. He says he must not love his own life. That's what it says right there. If, I, if, every, if everything is about me, 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 then guess who is the foremost in my life? Me. He was prepared to carry his own cross to the place called finish. I so say he must be willing to carry his cross. What is the cross? The cross is the responsibility and the message. The life of Christ. That's your cross. It's not a a wooden thing. It's not a wooden thing. He's asking you to carry the kingdom. The message of the kingdom. He's asking you to carry righteousness, purity, vulnerability. He's asking you to carry everything that Jesus carried. This is the life of a disciple. Is it any wonder why people run out? Is it any wonder why people... Leave the scene of the crime. He must be someone who is, is someone who has a foundation built into the life. Notice what he says. This guy starts to build his foundation and then he abandons it and everyone looks at him and jeers him. How many Christians do we see in church who have not had a foundation completed? Everyone laughs at them. The mature laugh at them. Why? Because they see the flaws in your life. Oh, they're not telling you face to face, but they see the childish antics. They see the immature behavior and and they say, why is that person immature? Why? Because they've never had a foundation built into their life. Now, it takes humility to acknowledge you need to change. It takes even greater humility to allow someone to help bring that change. Because it's, it's easy saying we just need to change. The truth is we need someone to help us change. Because if change was easy, we could just do it ourselves. People go to a gymnasium to change, but then they ask for a physical trainer to help them you 've got to do the exercise, but someone has to tell you, put you on a pattern, put you on a program. I should say, yeah, so you must have a foundation, and that foundation must be completed you can 't be all your life all your christian all your Christian life having. Someone build a foundation. There comes a time when the foundation's finished. Then you build upon the foundation. You must count the cost, he says. Because there's a cost required. There's no cost in going to church. No cost whatsoever. Well, I got up this morning. Gee. Wow. I suppose I'll back up then. Maybe I was wrong. Oh, hang on. We started at half ten. You normally work for eight o'clock, some of you. Oh, nine o'clock. You have to travel an hour to get there. So you did pretty well. We give you a line. Sunday Sunday is not a cost. And by the way, when you walked in the building, the heating was already on. The music's ready to go. People have got there before you. So come on. He must prepare to give up everything so he can keep on the path. That's the sacrifice. Daily making sacrifices to keep on the path. So when we see Luke's words, we see there is a very, very strong call. Many are called, but few are chosen, the Bible says. Not everybody's gonna make this call. Not everybody's gonna answer this call. Oh yes, people will come into a church and they'll feel convicted that they need to change their life. They're convicted in that moment, but to actually, can Christ actually get hold of that life and use it for his own kingdom. That's a different thing. Anyone can cry in church. A lot of people do cry. And they say, they say, oh, I must love God because I cry. Listen, I could make you cry. That easy. I'll start singing. So this year, we began to feel this urgency of discipleship more and more. Before I spoke to you about it as a church, I was feeling it in my heart for about three or four months. And most people think that discipleship is just doing a class. It's not a class. It's a life. It's a life. You know, the, the very things that we've been talking about this year, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to be transparent. You cannot grow without vulnerability and transparency. You cannot grow. And people don't like that. Why? Because it's, it's unnatural. It's unnatural. That's the natural side of me and you that does not want everyone to know about me. But you can't become part of a family if you're not willing to become vulnerable and transparent. Um, let me throw the other one in there, pure. Because where there's purity, everyone's safe. Everyone, where there's transparency, everyone's safe. It's when people hold things back and you don't know. There's always a lion in the wardrobe ready to pounce on you. But when you build trust in a, in, in a relationship and you build a church where you can build trust and people get to know each other better and do life with each other, it's amazing the walls will come down. And you, you and I grow at that rate and, we, and we're the better for it. But I thought church was just somewhere you came on a Sunday. That's right. Well, let's welcome to a church of a difference. This is not somewhere we come on a Sunday. This is just something, this is just one day of our life, of our Christian life. So we began to really look at this discipleship and realize that if God is going to have his church, see, we can run church and we can have our church or God can have his church. We don't want a church that we build. We want a church where Christ is the head, where we follow him. We don't expect, we don't do things and expect him to follow us. We actually look what he wants in scripture, listens to what he wants, and we do it. That's called discipleship. If this is, if Jesus Christ died for the world and died for his church, it's only right that he should have his church. So we cannot have church the way we want it. We must seek how, well, I should say, we must do what he wants and we must do it the way he said Jesus, God started the church the way he wanted it. Now he wants it the way he started it. And everything's polarizing to that point. The very thing that he started, he still wants. And he wants it exactly the way he started it. And the trouble is, is from the way he started to what we've got today, we've got so many confusing descriptions of what church is. Everyone thinks they know what church is. And yet when you walk in it, God's not there. We cannot have a church where God is, does not come. You know, God doesn't come to church. You bring him. Hello? God doesn't come to church. You bring him. If you don't bring him, he doesn't come. That's a good statement right there. So if people just come on a Sunday, all we've got is a building with people. But if you walk with him and you're a disciple of his, you bring him. And that's why when two or three are gathered together, there he is in the midst. Why? Because they brought him. God doesn't always go to a church near you. But if you carry him and and, and bring him into your life, then he'll always be where you are. As soon as I open my hands, heaven opens up. Why? Because Christ is in me. That's the life, amen? Most, Most people oppose the idea of you building discipleship into their life. They oppose it. I'm a bit past. I'm too busy. You're too busy. Then you're too busy. What does it? What does it uh, profit a man that if he finish the sentence off if he can? If he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul, we're not trying to gain the world. We're trying to. We're trying to reach the world, but not gain it. It's not for our gain. It's for his gain. Amen. So he says. You know, this discipleship, like you say, has to be proven authentic and genuine. You know, if someone, if David's going to call himself a believer, I have the right to expect him to live like one. If I call him, if I say to him, I'm his pastor, he has the right to expect certain things from me. Well, live like a pastor. Then I could turn around and say, well, let's clarify your understanding of what a pastor is. But I still have a responsibility to walk righteously, live righteously, treat him honourably, do the best I can for him. But I also have a responsibility that if he's not taking what's given, why should I keep labouring in a field where there's no seeds? Yeah? Ah, oh, but if you love me, you do it. Because I love you, I'm not doing it. Because, also because I've got other people who do want it. So we must have a responsibility and we've, part of this authentic discipleship that we run in this church is designed to turn the heat up. Because if we don't turn the heat up, it'll never purify you. Heat is what purifies us. And now some people don't want to be around that. Fine, you'll never be a disciple. You'll never be a disciple. And your life will always be, you'll always be at a point of contention in your life. You'll always struggle. Look at the ones who are never discipled. They struggle. They go from day to day struggling. Now, you know in life there's always struggles, but the struggle doesn't always have to be in you. You can be in the midst of chaos, but chaos doesn't have to be in you. So the life of a disciple will have trouble. Of course he will. But he himself is not always troubled by the trouble. Does that make sense? Trouble doesn't always have to trouble you. discipleship helps us to deal with life embrace problems sort them out deal with them spiritually physically emotionally discipleship goes after your emotions why because the one thing that we what governs our lives is our emotions the number one quality any leader in the world needs Some people will say it's vision. Others will say it's entrepreneurial skills. Others, and there's a big list of what every person thinks a leader needs. Well, here's my take. He needs emotional stability because everything you've got rests on your emotions. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, but if you're emotionally unstable, guess what? That's all you're ever going to portray is instability. And I, you know, I said this in Australia and they went white. I said, this is the number one thing that you need. Emotionally, you can work with anyone who's stable. But you all, you, we've all worked for people who's emotionally unstable. We've all worked for people who's insecure. And don't they make your life hell? Insecure people. That's, that's emotional flaws. So if we can help people deal with those things. They can recognize it face it and Christ can come and clear that area of the life out, then they can grow. And then you don't have to be limited or contained. How many of us have lost promotions because others see things in us that we don't? Bad things, I mean. Emotional character flaws. We think we can do the job. Yeah, but you're just a pain to be with. You're a nightmare to be with. So that some people say, "What? Well, it's not worth it. If we give him that job, he's going to kill us. So they go and give it to somebody else, but you never knew. It's called a blind spot. It's only blind to you, but everyone else in the, in the, in around you knows. So we want to, you know, help people deal with themselves and deal with their issues in life, because everyone's got some kind of issue, you know. There isn't a disciple in the Bible who didn't have an issue. Everyone had an issue. Paul was a murderer. Peter was religious. Mark was a deserter. You know, there's all kinds of people. (coughs) And every time I speak, or every time I go to uh, the church in Australia, I see this discipleship and how it's affected a whole church. In their church, they have about 400 people. And it's not just about their church. It's how much of Australia they're affecting. Discipleship has is is affected a quite a lot of Australia through what God started in that church. Why? Because they won't run away from it. And it's very powerful that people want to run all the time. But if you can help people to stop running and face, I tell you what, you can change people's lives. It's worth the, the labor to stop people running. We've all wanted to run. I've shared with you many times how I wanted to run, face the issues. Issues with my father. I wanted to run away from facing the issue with my father until he knocks on the door of the church. And God says, don't turn your back on him. Deal with it. And I'm talking to a pastor this week, and he says to me, I'm talking about the issue here of fathering. He says to me, you know what's wrong today? People don't have the stories anymore. I said, yes, they do. Look at this one. I've got one. I said, I can tell you how I dealt with my issues. How Christ dealt with me how I dealt with my issues with my father, I have decided I will be an example in this church. Oh, wow, yeah. So you you can't talk about fathering unless you've gone through some stuff. You can't help people unless you've gone through some stuff yourself. But we all wanted to run away from our stuff. But it's the fact that some of us stayed and faced it that gives us the, the, the platform to help others. Now, you may not have some stuff right now that you have to deal with. It's in there, it just hasn't come to the forefront. Some of us are are very good at hiding things. But in a church where the Holy Ghost is moving, nothing gets hid. It's beautiful. I love it when God just chases us down. Don't always appreciate it at the time. Yeah? Only through discipleship are you able to challenge and transform people. Sunday service doesn't do it. Blesses people, but doesn't transform them. You know, every disciple has... I don't know if you've ever noticed that you've got some strange habits. I don't know if you've noticed, but you're a bit peculiar. And you're a bit weird when you're on your own. you're a bit weird when you're in front of people sometimes. Whether it's some of you slurp your tea. And you don't know you slurp it until someone says, stop slurping. Some of you dunk your biscuits, which I think is a godly thing. (laughs) Some of you eat stuff and you think, you... He's demonic. <laughs> You're weird. You're weird. But I know sometimes you think, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know it, uh, that uh, other people observed me. Yet yeah, people are always observing you. They just don't always tell you. But we're all weird and peculiar at some level. True? So in Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, unless the Lord builds his house... Its builders labour in vain. Unless the, it watches over the city, the watchmen uh, stand and guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late. Sorry. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born both in one's youth. Blessed is the man, excuse me, whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at the gate. You see, discipleship helps us to not build in vain. Through discipleship, we are building people's lives the Christ way. If we do that, we don't build in vain. When we we move discipleship out the way and we say it's too emotional it's too heart uh, revealing and we decide not to do that all we do then is maintain what we've got you build a disciple for a reason you build a disciple so that he can become an arrow which God can launch and take him to the front lines of the battlefield wherever that is in our lives without discipleship there is no arrows for God to use Without discipleship, there is no army for God to assemble. Notice they say disciples, not church. I told you some time ago, there's a church in New Zealand, 5,000 people strong, and they can't get one volunteer to do a kids ministry on a Saturday. Street ministry, sorry, not kids. Street ministry. 5,000 people, but no army, no arrows. Now, we can all look at 5,000, but let's just bring the numbers down. Can we, get one, can we get arrows in 50? Can, sorry, in a church of 50, can we get 50 arrows? The issue is, not, you know, if we've got a church of 100 people, we need 100 arrows. There's a reason why people should be in your church. There's a reason why people, if they're going to call themselves a disciple, we should have the right to expect them to live the life of a disciple. So if you're going to call yourself a Christian, I should be able to say, why aren't you an arrow? Why can't God fire you? And there's many connotations to the word being fired. Some of us have been fired a long time ago. But we should have the right, this should be for every person in this church, you should be an arrow. You should be an arrow. And that's our intention through discipleship to build the Christ into you so you become an arrow in God's quiver. Because if God can't use you, then guess what? You're kidding yourself. You're not a believer. You're someone who, is, who, is, who likes the message, you feel warm from the message, but the Bible doesn't call you a disciple. You call yourself a church goer, you even call yourself a believer, you might even call yourself a Christian, but the issue is, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Because it was the disciples who were called Christians. It wasn't the Christians who were called disciples. The fact that they were followers and livers of this life, some saw them and went, they are like Christ, so they must be Christians. That discipleship was the key thing. So we must, God is looking for arrows in his church. Amen? <clears throat> you see, we cannot keep putting bread on the table if no one's going to eat. Now let me give you something a little bit futuristic. Some churches will spend all their time to feed their people on a Sunday. Why? Because the sheep think that the minister's job, they call it a job, is minister's job is to feed them on a Sunday. Where does it say that in the Bible? It didn't say on a Sunday. You've got it down to a Sunday. You've got what we expect is the, the minister to live godly, righteously. He's got to supply the bread, but you can live the way you want. Now it's his job to feed you. That's not, that's flawed. The Bible says you're meant to have a relationship where you feed from God every day. So if this is the only bread that's going to keep you going, who eats once a week and lives? Well, I'll tell you who does, half the church. We can't eat once a week. That's not a slim fast diet. That's call a dead diet. Exactly. It's not nutritional. You're going to die. You can't eat once a week. But so many believers think they can. And they roll up and they say, put the bread on the table. And when you do give them, they say, I don't want that. You can't win. Our role, some people come looking for bread, other come looking for seed. There's a difference. If all you want is your bread, you can have your bread. But we, because we're a prophetic church, we give you seed. We don't just give you bread, we give you seed. Seed so that you can build a future. So you can see a future. So you can lay hold of a future. But what most people want is just bread. Bread is about today. I'm going to need some more bread tomorrow. There was a whole company of people who lived in the wilderness and lived expecting God to bring the manna from the heaven. But guess what? Was they fed? Did they die in the wilderness? So do you want to die in the wilderness though you're eating bread? But that's the mentality of those who don't want to be discipled. They want you to give them bread, and we can give them bread. We'll always have bread in the house. there will always be bread in the house. But we want to give you seed. So you can build, you can take this word, build it into your life, begin to plan a future with this seed. Allow God to show you his plan for your life. That takes seed. So then we begin to prophesy and we begin to see our future and we walk into that, that seed. If we didn't have seed to see our future, all we've got is bread for today. And man cannot just live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So there's more than just Sunday's word, there's every word. Do you understand this? You see, many of us can take notes. You've took notes of the bread but you didn't do you did, there's no seed in there for you because you do nothing with it. It's amazing how easy we want to shove the need for discipleship and then we wonder why the church has got the dysfunctional behavior that she has. And when I say church we mean us. This is a, this is not dysfunctional. This is just a building. But we are the living stones. The Bible tells us that we're the living stones. So we need bread and we need seed. Seed is what brings our harvest. We keep sowing seeds. You keep watering it. We keep sowing it. You keep watering it. We keep sowing it. You keep watering it. As you water, you then begin, there comes a day when you lay hold of what you've watered and what's been sown. But bread just makes you, people think, People, one lady come up to me in Australia and I knew what she was trying to say, but she said it all wrong. Oh, you're so funny. I wanted to slap her. I don't want to be funny. The fact that I might be an amazing comedian, might be, the issue is I'm not traveling, I'm not ministering to be funny. She's missed the point. Another lady in the lift, you know, you're in that lift and it's all silent. And she says, she wants to say something, or she, she she thinks she has to say something. But it's almost like you wanted to just put your nose on and say, Shh, this is not the time for you to speak. Because when it's gonna come out your mouth, you're gonna look a numpty. And I won't embarrass her, she she sounded like a numpty. And I'm thinking, what do you expect me to do with that comment? Because I'm not going there to be flattered or flattened. But they feel that they have to sit. Why? Because it's, it's the way they're set up. Now, is compliments wrong? No. Get the right ones. The right ones. What she was saying was, I like what I'm hearing. I like the way what I'm, what I'm hearing and I like the way it makes me feel. But it's not how it makes you feel. It's what is it doing to you? Is it helping you? Now, one woman and her husband had been pastors for many, many years. On the last week, I had a home run. In other words, had, they'd give me back-to-back sessions. So I thought, I'm going for it. On the home run, I found that this time in Australia would have been speaking. I've never got to speak on anything that I wanted to speak on. Every time the Holy Ghost kept changing my, 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 you know, my entrance into the scene, and which is Okay. I'm mature enough to allow that to happen. I don't panic anymore. I used to panic a lot, but not now. And it was able to take it and I help, I help them understand. I've taught you the same thing. The issue of the table, how to, heat, how to eat at the table. And, they, and this woman and her husband had been struggling big time. And she said, afterwards, she says, that message has put an end to my struggles. We will never be the same. I don't have to go that way anymore. I can now go a different path because of that word. Now that's someone who's taken the seed. They've gone past bread. They've gone seed now. They see a future from what you've said. They've seen that they can change the life and they don't have to stay here. That seed. Now they have to go and water that seed. Yeah? You see, every leader... Must have arrows. It must have arrows. God gives the pastor a congregation. Out of the congregation come disciples. Watch this. God gives the pastor a congregation. That's what we call congregation. But that's just a name for a group of people who are assembled though that congregation can be anyone it could be atheists it could be murderers it could be anyone that's called a group of people but out of that congregation must come disciples yes or you just remain a group of people so then you have disciples now when you get disciples you've now got a different group of people yeah So some people don't want to move into discipleship, so the congregation stay there, but out of the congregation come a company of people, who's now called the disciples. Right. Out of discipleship, another company of people will now emerge. They're called sons. Sons now come out of spiritual sons, I'm talking about now. Those who you can use, those who allow you to work within them. And put your hands inside their lives. So we've got a congregation. Then we have disciples. And then we have sons. Now let's go back to that scripture that we just read. In verse 3, sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Not every child, it can't be just talking about natural. Because you, when you raise children, you don't raise warriors. You don't take your kids to the front line of a battlefield. It's not the safe place for them, is it? It's talking of a spiritual dimension here. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. In other words, if you do what God asked you to do, the benefits, you'll get a reward from that. And that heritage will be sons. Spiritual sons who carry the mark of sonship, authentic sonship. In other words, they have proved their discipleship is genuine. Some will go through discipleship, but not everybody will come through discipleship. Does that make sense? We can all be trained, but not everyone passes. So now, out of that, now you've got congregation, discipleship, sonship. Out of sonship, now they must become the arrow. They must become the arrow. Do you see this? So only through discipleship can you create sons and arrows. In other words, a son then becomes an instrument in the hands of both God and the pastor. What does he need to become an instrument for? Because now we're going to do the works of Christ. If we're going to do the works of Christ in our own environment, within our own city, within the nations of the world, we need to be able to launch people at different points. So let's just say we need to break through and pioneer four churches. Where do those resources come from? The arrows. So if you don't discipleship, you never have your storehouse. Your storehouse, your discipleship, equips and puts you, it creates an armory. In the church. This is why we are pushing hard for discipleship. Because if we've got an assignment and a mission upon our lives. We need resources. And guess what? I'm looking at the resources. But if you won't allow God to take you through discipleship. You can never become his arrow. But then you wonder why you struggle. God can't use you. But you use God. This is. The cost of discipleship. are you glad you, I'm home? <laughs> one one disciple's son can disciple 10, 20, 30. One disciple's son can disciple infinite numbers once they've been discipled accurately. I'm expecting in the next two or three years that I won't have to run the sonship classes. You lot will be doing it. I won't have to do it. Why? Because as I'll go to the next level and I'll bring training at that level, you guys will be doing that. I don't need to be doing it, but I need to model it at first so that we can bring people. Because guess what? There's more people going to come through this door who want discipleship. And it only takes 10 people who say, I'm, I'm, I'm in for this. I want this. Then all of a sudden now we need to take another sonship class over here. Because where we started now, we're already five months in. So we need to start another one over here. Same thing you're going to get, they're going to get. We need disciples. We must. Have disciples. Jesus said, the last scripture, John seventeen six. For I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. Where did they come out of? The world. We all came out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the word you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. But but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. All I have, sorry, and all you have is mine. And the glory come to me through them. I'll remain with them in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By the name you gave me, not one has been lost except the one doomed for destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy. Yeah, within them, I gave them your word and the world hate has hated them for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth of your word. Your word is truth. All you sent, uh, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. You know, discipleship reveals Christ's nature in our lives. It's got to. But the consequences of bypassing the process will lead to unbalanced growth. Jesus spent all he had with these, these people. And look at the quality that he raised. But those who didn't want discipleship, we don't read of them anymore. They either left him or they became warped. Yeah? Verse seven, He says, they know. Now they know. Discipleship brings the people to the point where now they say, now I know. Now I know. That's what discipleship does. Discipleship isn't a course it's a cl- it, or a class. It's a life. Now they know. So we labor until you now know. Does that make sense? There's things that you'll never know and can never know unless you go through discipleship. Now they know. That's what Jesus said about them. You gave me the word. Now they know. Verse 8. I gave them the words and they know with certainty. Only through discipleship can you build certainty into people's lives. Everybody needs certainty. Why? Because with certainty, you build hope. Yeah? If we're going to ask people to consider and conclude, they must know with certainty. Verse 11 and 12. None have been lost. Discipleship has a very, very powerful way of protecting people. It has a very, very unique way of protecting people. None of them were lost. Other than the one that was doomed to be lost. Judas. You don't have to get lost. You don't have to get destroyed. You will go through battles. Can't promise you're not going to go through a battle. But you don't have to get chewed up. Amen? You can have protection. You can have progress. You can. And we must know the value of, of this process with certainty. Last, uh, last verse, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. The power, value of protection that comes comes to you is that you are qualified to have a work done on you. You know, Scott, when he went to Australia, he applied, or even when I went into Australia, you have to apply for a visa. To get into the country. Can you imagine? country we helped create, find, dump on. Now we have to pay to get in. And when they come over, they're getting free. Come figure that one. That's the Australian government trying to make money out of us. It's called payback. (coughs) Thing is, is Scott had to pay for a two-year visa, sorry, for a year visa, which qualifies him to be there then he has to pay an entrance fee to be at the school he's at. Every time he keeps paying a fee, it qualifies him to go to another level. Yeah. do not it? He's not telling you half of what's going on because he's not understanding it all. But his dad understands what's going on because I've seen that path. I've walked that path. I know. And I don't want to frighten him, scare him, but he's loving it. But if I tell him what's ahead around the corner, it might just help him. You know, it just might... Pull back a bit. Why? Because Scott is comfortable, but now he's becoming uncomfortable. And it's great. And you're comfortable. And through discipleship, God wants to make you uncomfortable. Right? And it doesn't matter if you knew in here, it's the first time or, or the last time. You still need to be discipled. Giving your life to Christ is only the beginning. It is not the end. Christ died for a purpose. The Bible says, for I have plans for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But when you call out to me, then I'll make them known. So why would anyone call out for them if, they weren't, if they're not interested? Only, listen, making them known to you is one aspect. But living in the plan is another. I'm actually in the part now where I'm actually in living the plan that God has for me. But that came through discipleship. I would never have known the plan's That God has for me without discipleship, I wanted to run, I wanted to hit people, right? I wanted to hit people. Why? Because they made me feel uncomfortable. Get used to it. Discipleship is uncomfortable. Okay. So you're qualified. Jesus has sanctified us by His truth. He has qualified us to enter the path of discipleship. Aren't you glad? So when we say, well, we've got authentic sonship and people, well, I'm not going this week. I'm not going that way. I'm not doing that. Hey, what you're saying, what you're saying is I don't want this journey. I don't see the importance of this journey. You might say, well, I'm just busy this week. This, we give you all the dates. All the dates are there. (laughs) Because... By giving you that, all that calendar at the back, what are we saying to you by putting all those dates there? It's important to us. So you can plan. Now, I know you, depending on your work environment, your shifts are also set in a pattern. I understand that. So what do we say? Wherever possible, you can make those dates, make them. And the value of technology today, everything can be recorded. Everything can be listened. So you can still get the teachings When you're not here. That's fine. It's beautiful. But then try and and attend the groups. So that's where we drill down. And then we'll create other avenues where we can go even deeper. This is discipleship. Jesus spent three and a half years with these guys. They must have, I I bet he drilled really deep. Guess what? That's what Christ wants from us. There's no other way other than the discipleship way. So if you stand to your feet. Please. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brother, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. No, we've already clarified what that means. First love. Yeah. Anyone does not carry his cross and follow me If anyone's anyone, does not follow, uh, does not carry his own cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Is that clear? Scripture is very clear. So we've got to make sure that we are not part of the anyone. That we are someone who has decided, Lord, I will do what it takes to pick up my cross, follow you to the end. I'm not settling for a church life. I'm not settling for an experience. I'm settling for the Christ life. It's the only life for me. You want me to have this life so much so that you make it, you deliberately make it not easy. You deliberately make this path a choice that most people in the natural will not make, will not choose. But Lord, I'm here. You've saved my life. I realize my life needs dramatic transformation. I want, to be, I, want to, I want to know that these plans and the, this future for my life, I want to be discipled. You can't disciple someone on a six-week course. It's a life. It's a life. So as we're just all starting here now, study here should say, let's just raise our hands if we will so no one's noticing what someone else is doing or saying. Make that commitment in your own heart. You're not making it to me. You're making it to the Father of heaven. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Lord, put an end to my struggle. I put an end to my struggle today. I'm going to be discipled. I'm going to allow this word to be worked into my life. I'm not going to allow the things that you've given me to become the things that rule me and limit me and contain me. My family, you've given me. You've already told me to protect my family. But you've also told me to love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my soul. And to put no other gods before you. So Lord, you're not asking me to hate me, brother. You're asking me on my mother, on my father, on my children. You're asking me to follow you and put you first in my life. Because if I put you first in my life, then all these things, I can, I can cross my whole family over. Lord, I'm asking you today, Lord, search my heart. No. What's in my heart. Take me down this route of discipleship. Father, I submit my life to you today. And I allow the Holy Ghost to disciple me. Take me closer. Take me deeper. Into discipleship. Lord, I'm prepared to be uncomfortable. I'm prepared to be vulnerable. I'm prepared to be righteous and pure. I will become an arrow. I will not just become part of the congregation anymore. I will step out the congregation and become a disciple. I'm not just going to stop and become a disciple. I'm going to become an arrow. Lord, I'm going to become an arrow in the quiver of my father. Lord, and I'm going to put my life in the hands of heaven and in the pastor and his team. And Lord, wherever you decide this church is is, is to be fired in whatever direction, the assignment, Lord, I'm going to be an arrow that they can use. This is... The call upon my life is to be a disciple, a trained warrior in your hands. An instrument that can be used in Jesus' name. Go on, just seal that off now. and As you pray, and just say, Lord, I will do it. I'll do it. I'll find this place. I'll find this place in your heart to be a, to be a warrior, to be a disciple. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is it, oh, God. I'm in. From this day on, I'm in. I will be the arrow. Lord, fashion me, oh God. Sharpen me so that when you can use my life, oh God. You can use my life to penetrate darkness. To cut through the, 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 the disorder in, in, in my factory, in my workplace. So I can be light wherever I am. So I can help other people, Lord, cross over. Pull them out of darkness. And bring them into the same place I'm in, oh God. Help me to penetrate, oh God, the darkness in my life. Around my life. Use my life strategically in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Lord bless you. Take these words. Meditate on them. Amen.